This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 67 of the Catholic Foodie. He is risen. Alleluia. That's right, folks. This is Easter. We are in the octave of Easter, uh, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, Lent was fantastic for me, and now we have the Easter season. I love it. We are waiting now. We are in that phase of uh, preparing ourselves to receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Very exciting time, and uh, I am I am so glad that you're here. So what's on the show today? We have some feedback. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Lent and Triduum and, uh, and, and, and Easter, of course. And we're also going to talk about altar bread today. Uh, the bread that's used for the Eucharist. So stick around, the Catholic foodie, where food meets faith. Well, we're going to start off today with a little feedback. I received a couple of emails. The first one is from uh, Kate Daniluk, and uh, you probably remember that name. Kate was on the show uh, a few months back uh, with her uh, her ministry, Making Music Praying Twice, which I think you could find at makingmusicprayingtwice.com. And uh, we were talking about last episode, uh, Holy Thursday, and the, the, the recipe for the grilled lamb chops. I don't know if you remember that. It seems like it was forever ago. <laughs> um, I took a kind of a little break here for Easter. Anyway, we talked about uh, my experience or our experience last year for Holy Thursday uh, with the the children and uh, reading scripture at the table, you know, dressing up really nice, and we ate lamb and uh, and salad and roasted potatoes, and we, in a way, not not really like a seder meal at all, but in a way, sort of a um, uh, a remembering, a memorial of what the Israelites went through with with the Exodus, and then of course, uh, keeping in mind the fact that uh, Jesus is our Passover, right? He is our Passover lamb. So we read some scripture passages all that. Anyway, uh, I'm going to get into uh, our experience just last week of Holy Thursday. Uh, I'll give you a hint, though. It was not quite the same as last year. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you all about that in just a bit. But anyway, Kate responded to last uh, the last episode, and she says, uh, we do the whole Passover thing to different degrees at our house, uh, this year, I went with a Middle Eastern spice rub instead of my usual rosemary and garlic on the leg of lamb. Went so much better with the cinnamony uh, hariset and matzah, and my five-year-old kept dipping it in the horseradish. <laughs> Yum. Uh, it was really good. My two-year-old ignored her potatoes and asked for more chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe I didn't think of that before. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Kate, that is so funny. You know, uh, eating meals with children, is uh, it's always fun. It's always fun. And they always say the funniest things. And, uh, you know, my youngest is now eight. Golly, I can't believe it. She's eight years old. And she's preparing to make her first communion just uh, next month. So very excited about that. But she still calls any kind of meat, any kind of meat, she calls it chicken. <laughs> it's all chicken. Um, and so it's, it's kind of almost um, hard to, to not take it as an insult when, you know, at first glance, when you have, have uh, put a lot of effort and time and money into something like, uh, I don't know, ribeye or, uh, <laughs> or New York strip or something really nice, you know, and, or lamb, goodness, lamb, which is a little more expensive. And 
and and she's going to call it chicken, <laughs> which is so cheap, you know. Um, anyway, they say the funniest things. And, uh, man, I, I tell you what, that Middle Eastern spice rub sounds good. That sounds good. And uh, it reminds me, though, uh, the recipe that I gave last episode and the one that I posted over at CatholicFoodie.com was missing one major ingredient. I completely forgot about it. And uh, Char reminded me later, and she uh, she kind of jumped my case a little bit. But anyway, it was the fresh mint. We had fresh mint from our garden, and she just would chop the mint up and then just kind of, you know, um, rub it into the uh, uh, the lamb chops. Just kind of rub it into the lamb chops. So fresh mint. And I know a lot of times people talk about eating lamb with, with mint jelly. Well, this was we, – we had no mint jelly, but what we – we did. We just used that fresh mint, and oh, it was just so good, so good. So I'm I'm sorry I forgot that uh, that one major ingredient off last episode, but <laughs> um, anyway, it turned out good, and I'm glad, Kate, that your meal turned out well too. I received another email from uh, Kyle Mead, and Kyle responded to once again last episode. He says, "Great show. My wife and I will be trying to have a Seder supper with our family on Thursday." Uh, we have not ever prepared lamb before, and our kids are way too picky about new things, so we may modify that. Kids are 9, 7, 6, 4, and 20 months. Wow, that's awesome. Awesome. Congratulations, Kyle. That's fantastic. Um, my wife found a script ceremony online for a Seder, although I'm not sure where. I actually suggested she try the Catholic Foodie site, hoping you would have a link to such a resource, but to no avail. Hint, hint. (laughs) Anyway, when I was a kid in the mid-80s, the parish I grew up in hosted a family Seder meal for a few years. Uh, I think it was actually on Holy Thursday, although it may have been earlier in Holy Week. It was discontinued at some point because I think someone complained that it was not respectful enough of Jewish tradition. I was too young to know for sure. Just a shame it was discontinued. Uh, I'll try to let you know how it goes on Thursday. Best wishes, Kyle. Well, Kyle, uh, thank you for writing in, first of all. And secondly, I would love to know how it went on Thursday. That would be great. Uh, You know, I've heard this complaint before. Matter of fact, after I got your email, I realized, you know what? That's really smart. I I did not even think about posting links to places where you can get resources on Seder meals. It just never occurred to me. Uh, But there are a number of places out there where you can get that. And I guess what I could do for I mean, that's not going to do us any good right now, but I can go ahead and modify that uh, that page, that post, and include some links. And that way, next year when people are googling uh, for Seder meals or ideas for Seder meals, then uh, maybe they'll come across a Catholic Foodie site. Anyway, uh, I did look up a few resources, and I noticed that you know there were a few people, quite a few people, who were uh, complaining about. Um, Christians celebrating Seder meals, and the, the the same the same reason was given each time, and that's the fact that it's not respectful to Jewish tradition. But I I kind of wonder about that. Uh, I wonder about it because you know we share a mutual heritage. Uh, Jesus was a Jew, is a Jew, and uh, the the Catholicism and, and Christianity comes out of Judaism. So there's a very close connection, and we claim. Abraham is our father in faith as well. So uh, there, there's there's something to that. Uh, I did hear one really good argument as to why not to celebrate a Seder, and that's because, you know, we now have something 
that has superseded the old rites, and that is uh, the Eucharist and the Eucharistic celebration. So that makes more sense to me. However, if you recall last episode, I did not say that we celebrated a Seder. Rather, it was something like a Seder. And by that, I mean that uh, we, it was a memorial meal. We spent that time um, sharing a meal, praying, and reading Scripture, reading the stories from Scripture that we would hear later that evening in the, uh, the celebration, the, the special Holy Thursday Mass, the Mass of the Lord's Supper. We would hear them then, but we got to read them together at home, uh, at the table, and to talk about them. So it wasn't truly a Seder. Um, anyway, there's also a, a, a Jewish Catholic uh, website, and I'll have to put the link in the show notes. Uh, it, it's a website of uh, Jews who have become Catholic, uh, who have accepted uh, Jesus or recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And they actually advocate uh, or, or encourage a celebration of a Seder meal. Now, I don't recall whether that was specifically for Jewish Catholics or if it was just something kind of in general for Catholics since we all share the that, that, that same heritage. Uh, so anyway, those are uh, a few thoughts on last episode and on Holy Thursday and Seder meals. And uh, in just a moment, I'll come back and share with you our experience last Thursday. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. I'll have what she's having. Well, last Thursday, Holy Thursday, uh, for us, did not go the way we thought it would go. Uh, last year was a wonderful experience. It was great, and the kids were so good, and it was just, you know, I don't, we wanted to do it again. You know, it was so good, we wanted to do it again. Well, it didn't quite work out the way we had hoped. <laughs> um, let's see, where did it start? I, I think it started with the fact that we were just running late. Uh, you know, we all we have busy lives, and it seems like um, it seems like every year it gets busier and busier. And uh, so I, I got home from school a little bit late, and Char had errands to run. And next thing you know, the food is, go- is going on late, and um, it's not quite ready, and we still have to get dressed. And the kids are kind of being rambunctious and, and and arguing, and they're not uh, going and getting ready the way they're supposed to be. And so anyway. Long story short is we we got to the table later than we had hoped, like a good amount later than we had hoped. So we only had about 30 minutes to really eat and to get out the door in time for uh, for the, the Mass of the Lord's Supper. And it just it, – it, we didn't do any readings from Scripture. We didn't have time. We did – you know, I did offer a, 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 a prayer from the heart, uh, blessing the Lord and thanking the Lord for – uh, all of his goodness to us and for the gift of the Eucharist and for the gift of the food that we're going to receive and for the gift of our family and, you know, all these different blessings that he has poured out upon us. We were thanking him for that, uh, but we did not have a chance. We just didn't have the time to uh, to, uh, to to get into the, the Scripture stories, the actual history of salvation as is recorded in, uh, in, the, in the Bible. So uh, not in, adi- in addition to that, though— 
Uh, the kids were, as I said, they started out rambunctious before they got to the table, and it seemed to just get worse. And as the evening progressed, it got even worse, <laughs> more worse, worser. Uh, we got to uh, to Mass, and we were running late, about five minutes late, and luckily they hadn't started yet. Uh, not only had they not started, but we were afraid, you know, our, our parish is a big parish, and we figured, you know, we're going to have to stand up in the back and we'll be standing up for the whole time, and that's going to be, you know, that's going to stink. So, uh, but we walked in, and I was amazed there were so many seats available in the back. It's like, where is everybody? I mean, normally, you know, it's a packed house. It's standing room only. Uh, but this year, for some reason, it wasn't. So uh, we got to, a chance to sit, which was good. But, uh, as I said, you know, the kids, their behavior just seemed to get worse. It was very rare that we were in mass and Char and I are actually embarrassed because of our kids' behavior. Very rare. Usually they're pretty good, you know. Um, no no, no uh, acting up, no arguing or fighting, anything like that. If anything, it's them kind of not paying attention. And that's not a, you know, they're kids. They're going to be like that. So we're trying to get them to pay atten- uh, pay attention, but doesn't always um, doesn't always work out as, you know, as well as you would like. Uh, anyway, they were actually arguing and fighting in mass this time. I was I was unbelievable. So I did what any good Catholic would do. I offered it up. <laughs> I offered it up, and I said, "Lord, help me." You know the, these kids. And, and, you know, all those souls in purgatory, take this suffering and, and, and let them out of purgatory. And besides, it's a great feast day. So anyway, I, I offered that up, and then I gave them a good talking to after Mass. And uh, the next day, Good Friday, they did much, much better. So speaking of Good Friday, let me just do, let me just kind of step back for a second and tell you about Lent briefly. And then uh, maybe mention, uh, you know, what happened for us or what happened to us, what happened for us during the Triduum. You know, Lent, as we went into the Triduum, I, I almost felt sad that Lent was over. Uh, you know, Lent officially ends at sundown on Holy Thursday. And I was I was kind of sad about that, which is awkward, I think, for, for some people. They're all excited, like, oh, yeah, I get to eat my chocolate again in just a couple of days. Or, you know, oh, you know, I get to, to play video games or whatever, you know, whatever they gave up for Lent. But for me this year, and normally I guess I'd be like that, but for me this year, uh, it was almost sad to, to that that Lent was coming to a close because this Lent has been particularly powerful for me. Uh, it's amazing the stuff that God is doing in my life this Lent, and you know, actually, I wrote uh, I wrote a, a blog post about that. It's over at CatholicFoodie.com. You can go find that um, at CatholicFoodie.com. It's the most recent one. I think it's called uh, "He Is Risen." Uh, Alleluia. I believe that's the title. I can't I can't remember at the moment, but. I uh, just put that there today, and I've already got a comment on there. I, I haven't read the comment here on the show yet, but um, uh, you can go over there to catholicfoodie.com, and you can find that. That's, and I'd love to hear from you, too, what you think about it. But what I did is I put in that blog post sort of the beginning of what my Lent was like and all the great things that is ha- that are happening right now because of Lent. And it's just – it's really hard to explain. Um, I don't know if I could do it justice right now. And that's why I think I had to write it out. But need um, anyway, <laughs> I guess the easiest way to say this is that uh, uh, you know sometimes you you you're living your faith, you're moving on, you're, you're you're going day after day, and it seems like you don't even really know it. You don't even realize that you're sort of 
stuck in your faith, that, that you're sort of just plodding along and you're not really like alive. You're not really, um, um, your prayer isn't really like alive, like you're in contact with God. It's more like just something you do. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're just kind of like stuck. Anyway, I was kind of, I was like that for a long time and, and just didn't even realize it. And then in this Lent, just somehow, I mean, God just, you know, zapped me. And, uh, and, and, and it's just been amazing the things that he's done in my life uh, over the last several weeks. So um, I was kind of sad that Lent was coming to a close. It's like, oh, no. But then I realized, of course, that uh, we're going into Easter. And what is Easter all about? Easter is all about new life. You know, the new life that Jesus has won for us. And we see this clearly in his resurrection. He rises from the dead. He is alive. Jesus is alive. He was dead and now he's alive. And he uh, appears to the apostles over and over and over again, uh, reminding them, showing them, demonstrating, explaining to them that he is real. He is alive. And, I mean, we see their kind of incredulity at the beginning and and, you know, how can this be? And he, he kind of opens their minds to understand the scriptures and what all the scriptures had said about him and how he had to die and how he would be risen from the dead. So Jesus is alive, and it's all about new life. He doesn't, he doesn't rise from the dead for himself alone. He rises from the dead for us, for me and for you. He rises from the dead to give us new life. And, you know, he promises to the apostles to send upon them what? The Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus. You know, you will have, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive new life. And, you know, it's funny, you read the Acts of the Apostles and uh, the tail end of, of Luke's gospel and the Acts of the Apostles. Jesus, it says, appeared to the apostles over a period of 40 days. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? I mean, Jesus, this, 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 man that you saw brutally murdered, brutally put to death, hung on a cross, like not a drop of blood in his body, just wounds from head to foot, completely embarrassed as a terrible, terrible way to, uh, to die. And it, it was, um, uh, what's the word? Um, embarrassed is not the right word. Humiliating. That's it. It was a humiliating way to die. Uh, in addition to the physical, uh, pain. But he went through all that. He died. He's put into a tomb. You've seen him dead, and now he's alive, and he's talking to you. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Not only that, but for 40 days, he continues to meet with you and talk to you and explain new life to you, the life of the, of the church, the life of, of Jesus that's going to continue on earth, the, the mission of the apostles to go and to preach the good news, you know, to the ends of the earth. The, the the good news being that the, the gospel, the message of Jesus, that God is our Father, that God loves us, that he offers us new life, redemption, salvation, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit, he offers all this stuff to us. And so for 40 days, he appears to them. And then we celebrate, you know, 40 days from Easter here in the church, we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension. Jesus uh, ascends, he rises up, ascends into heaven, and, you know, our eyes are kind of looking up at Jesus like, you know, he's in heaven. And in a way, we have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus in heaven, 
at least we need to keep one eye focused on Jesus in heaven, right? Because that's where our home is. Uh, but at the same time, the angels come down and say, hey, why are you looking up into the sky? You know, this Jesus who has been, who has been taken up from you is going to come back the same way. You know, your mission basically is to go out and preach the good news. So we have to focus on the call that we have from God, but also focus on Jesus. That's, that's the goal, right? The goal is heaven. So anyway, 10, 10 days after that or nine days after the ascension, we celebrate on the 50th day, we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So this whole season, this Easter season is all about new life. You know, we've got 40 days of Jesus teaching us what it is to be a Christian, what it is to live life in him, this new life that he has won for us. And then on that 50th day, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. Interesting, too, by the way. If you look in the Old Testament, it never talks about human beings being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, you have the prophets who were uh, mouthpieces of God. They spoke, they prophesied that the Spirit spoke through them and prophesied. But the Scriptures never say that any of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They may say, say something along the lines of, the Spirit rested on this particular prophet or king. The Spirit rested on them, not that the Spirit was in them. Interesting, very interesting to note that, and the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit couldn't, until Jesus had won the redemption for us, that until Jesus had won salvation from, uh, for us. And, and it, another thing that's very interesting, too, is you see that Jesus, when he walked among the apostles, when he walked the, the, the dusty roads of, of Israel, um, he promised over and over again during his three years of public ministry that he would send the Holy Spirit, that he would send another, he would send the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, and the fact that, you know, he makes this promise and says, you know, that I will not leave you orphaned. I will send another. But you notice, you, you keep wondering, it's like, hey, you know, if the Holy Spirit is so awesome and so powerful, why don't you give him to us right now? You know, but, but he couldn't, because Jesus couldn't do that until he had died. And it's very interesting, the, the very last thing that the scriptures say, the gospels say about Jesus on the cross, is that he gave up his breath, or he breathed his last, right? And that breath, that word in, in Hebrew, which I know the Gospels were written in Greek, but uh, for the most part, some of them were written partly in Hebrew. Anyway, uh, that, that, that word breath is clearly associated with the Spirit, right? He gave over his Spirit. You see in John's Gospel when he says, Father, into your hands I commend my Spirit, right? That ruach was the the Hebrew word for um, all right, my daughter just got a nine six in her vault. Isn't that awesome? I think she's the best. My, my Charles says I think she uh, that nine six is her best in vault so far. So good, she's over at the state meet. Anyway, um, so he he hands over his spirit, and then only then can can the Holy Spirit enter into us. Because Jesus has won, has won salvation for us. And so they're in the upper room between the Ascension and Pentecost. They're in the upper room with who? With Mary, praying for nine days, first novena, by the way, first nine days of prayer. And then the Holy Spirit 
falls on them, but doesn't just fall on them, it fills them. We see in Acts chapter 2, it fills them and it changes them. It transforms them. That is the new life that we're talking about. I have been reading uh, the letters of St. Paul uh, the last several weeks, and I'm telling you over and over and over and over again, it is the same message. New life, first of all, which is radically different than the life we lived before, which is all about, really, freedom. It's about freedom, that Jesus came to set us free, and the Holy Spirit is what makes us free. And there's so much that I could say about this, but I'm not going to say it now. Uh, it's something that we'll talk about maybe over time. And uh, perhaps um, after you check out that post at catholicfoodie.com and you let me know what you think about the, 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 the well, I guess, introduction to what happened to me this Lent, uh, if you want to know more, if you want to hear more of the story, make a comment there. And if, if there's interest, then I'll go ahead and, and post some more over at catholicfoodie.com. So that's the good news, the good news. He is risen. Hallelujah. And I do have something else to share with you about He is risen in just a moment. Oh, you got to taste this. This is, oh, it's got this kind of burning, melty, it's not really a smoky taste. It's a certain, oh, it's kind of like a, it's got like this boom, zap kind of taste. Don't you think? What would you call that flavor? Lightning-y? Yeah. It's lightning-y! Oh, we gotta do that again! Okay, when the next storm comes, we'll go up on the roof. I know what this needs! Saffron! A little saffron would make this! Saffron. Why do I get the feeling it's, it's in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen? In the kitchen. We're not really going into the kitchen right now. <laughs> but I do want to say something about food. And uh, this is going to be about heavenly food. It's going to be about the Eucharistic food. Uh, you know, when I think of that phrase, he is risen, uh, recently, uh, I, I, I've, I've started to associate that with something uh, that we celebrate in church, the Eucharist. Um, and I associate it in a way with, uh, with the difference between the, uh, the Eastern and Western churches, right? The, the Orthodox Church and the Eastern Catholic Churches and then the Roman Catholic Church, the Latin Rite in particular, the, the Western Church. Uh, there's some you know, we're virtually the same in theology and sacraments and practice, uh, virtually the same. Our theology, virtually the same, almost everything identical between the, uh, the, the, the Catholic and the Orthodox. But there are a few doctrinal points that kind of keep us separated, and there are a couple of um, uh, stupid mistakes on the part of uh, crusaders <laughs> that, that, that have sealed the division between the Orthodox and the Roman Catholics. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately. So uh, that may be a topic for another day too. But in regards to the Eucharist, there's a striking, there's one striking difference between the two, and I wanted to to talk about that today because the phrase, the term, he is risen, reminds me of this. You know, if you're Roman Catholic in, in the in the Latin rite, uh, when you go to receive communion, you usually will receive a small white disc. Uh, we call it a host. And we call it a host, by the way, not because it becomes the host of Jesus, some place that, that in a way houses the presence of Jesus. It's not that. Host comes from the Latin hostia, which means victim. 
It means victim. So we receive a host, a small, white, flat host. It's unleavened bread, unleavened bread. Just like Jesus used at the Last Supper, part of the Passover uh, ritual, the Passover meal. And then, of course, this was done, the Passover was the culmination of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So in the, the Latin rite, in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, we use uh, unleavened bread. But did you know, and that we do that basically to follow the tradition of Jesus and the, and the Last Supper and the institution of the Eucharist, but did you know that in the Orthodox Church, right, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and also the Eastern Catholic Churches, which we have many different, there's 24, I believe, different rites that make up the Roman Catholic Church, um, different rites, uh, like you have the, the, the Byzantine uh, Catholic, you have the Armenian Catholic Church, you've got the Maronite Catholic Church, the, the um, uh, Melkite Catholic Church, you have all these different rites, they all fall under the, the Pope, they all fall under the, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the Mother Church, um, but they're different rites and they have some of their own different practices. The way that they live out the faith is different, their tradition is different. So uh, what we see in these Eastern Catholic churches and in the or- Eastern Orthodox Church is when they when they use their altar bread, right? The, the, they make their altar bread for the Eucharist. They actually use yeast. That bread is leavened. It's leavened. And why? Why? Uh, well, I studied this, and I could explain this to you. Uh, I can go on and on and on. <laughs> but what I thought I would do is kind of limit myself. And there's a very short synopsis on Wikipedia. Believe it or not, there's good stuff actually on Wikipedia. So I'm going to uh, read to you very quickly the the rationale behind using leavened bread um, in the in the Eastern Catholic churches and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, it says the Eastern Orthodox Church continues the ancient practice of using leavened bread for the Eucharist. Thus, the sacramental bread symbolizes the resurrected Christ. New life, remember, new life. The sacramental bread, known as prosphora, um, or prosphoron, uh, offering, basically means offering, uh, may be made out of the only four ingredients. Okay, so to make the sacramental, the altar bread, in the Orthodox Church and in the Eastern Catholic Churches, only these four ingredients can be used. The finest wheat uh, flour, the finest wheat flour, which is, is going to be white, white flour, uh, pure water, yeast, and salt. And that's it. It says sometimes holy water will be either sprinkled into the dough or on the kneading trough in the beginning of the process. Uh, the baking may only be performed by a believing Orthodox Christian in good standing, having preferably been recently to confession, and is accompanied by prayer and fasting. Before baking, each loaf is formed by placing two discs of dough, one on top of the other, and stamping it with a special liturgical seal. The prosphora should be fresh and not stale or moldy when presented at the altar for use in the divine liturgy. Often several prosphora will be baked and offered by the faithful, and the priest chooses the best one for the lamb, as they refer to it as the lamb. Uh, We call it the host. 
that will be consecrated. The remaining loaves are blessed and offered back to the congregation after the end of the divine liturgy. And this bread is called the antidoron, or I don't know how to pronounce that in, in Greek, but basically it means a gift returned or in place of the gifts. So, and we've seen that too. Uh, Char and I have seen that in uh, the, the Maronite or the uh, the Melkite rites where, um, you know, if you have, and this is more, I guess, in a, in his, historically, not necessarily something we've witnessed, but we know and we've heard stories uh, historically where uh, when the gifts are brought up, if there was too much bread brought up, then it would be blessed, not not consecrated, but just blessed with a blessing by the priest and then given to the people. And they would have like a big feast after Mass. Now, for the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church says the host is a portion of the bread used for Holy Communion, usually a thin, round, unleavened wafer. The word host is derived from the Latin hostia, which means sacrificial victim. The term can be used to describe the bread both before and after consecration. Though it is more correct to use it after consecration, altar bread being preferred before consecration. Western theology teaches that the words of institution, right, this is my body, this is my blood, it's at the words of institution that the bread is changed or transubstantiated uh, into the body of Christ. While Eastern theology, all right, some of this is, is part of the Eastern Catholic churches as well, but of the, especially the Eastern Orthodox, sees the change take place during the epiclesis, which is the overshadowing. It's when the priest calls down the Holy Spirit to change these gifts of bread and wine into the body and blood of your son, referring to the Father, right? Talking to the Father. Um, the, the, in the Eastern tradition, they see that part, the epiclesis, as the moment when the transubstantiation occurs. In the Roman Church, in the in the Catholic, in the the Western Church, we see it really as at the words of institution. But if you talk to theologians, um, nobody really said they don't say officially it happens at this moment. <laughs> we just know that it happens, and we don't know how the Holy Spirit does this. You know, in the person of the priest, we don't understand it. Of course, it's a mystery, but um, we know it happens. We just can't pinpoint exactly when, and that's why you have two different uh, opinions in, in the, from the East and the West, you know? So anyway, um, it continues. It says that, uh, da, 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 where am I? Um, all right. Hosts are often made by nuns. It's a means of supporting their religious communities. In the Latin rite, unleavened bread is used as as in the Jewish Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Byzantine rite, Eastern Catholic churches like the Eastern, much like the Eastern Orthodox Church, use leavened bread for prosphora, the Greek word for Eucharistic altar bread. Uh, the Armenian Catholic Church, uh, the Syro-Malabar Church, the Maronite Catholic Church, have all adopted the use of unleavened bread. So what they've done, those those few um, uh, of the Eastern rite Catholic churches have kind of been Latinized a bit. They they have kind of adopted some of the Western traditions, and one of those being the use of unleavened altar bread for uh, for the Eucharist. So some traditions prescribe the use of spiced, flavored, or sweetened hosts, while others 
allow it. However, both Eastern and Western traditions insist that the bread must be made from wheat. The Code of Canon Law, Canon 924, requires that the hosts be made from wheat flour and water only. And that's, of course, in the Western Church. The general instruction of the Roman Missal in section 321 recommends that the Eucharistic bread be made in such a way that the priest at Mass with a congregation is able to practice or is able in practice to break it into parts for distribution to at least some of the faithful. The action, what they call this is the fraxio, right, the fraction, the breaking of the bread, uh, which, by the way, is what gave the name, right, gave the Eucharist its name in the early church, in the apostolic times. The, 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 the people, the believers, used to gather with the apostles for the breaking of the bread. So it's the fraxio. We see that as a very important element of the Eucharistic celebration in the West. Uh, it'll bring out more clearly the force and importance of the sign of unity of all in one bread, and of the sign of charity by the fact that the one bread is distributed among the brothers and sisters. So that is a little bit from me and a little bit from Wikipedia on why the Eastern Catholic churches, most of them, and the Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, uses leavened bread for their Eucharist. It is a sign, a symbol of new life, right, in the resurrected Christ. You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. Well, folks, we are going to wrap it up uh, today. Uh, this is a this is a, uh, a little shorter shorter episode here for me. I mean, normally you know me, I'm going over an hour, but uh, Chara's not here. She's in Baton Rouge with uh, Annabelle and at a gymnastics, a state meet, and uh, we're going to be doing a show again real soon. So I'm going to go ahead and cut it off here. I've got some things I want to talk to you about, especially the liturgy of the hours. Uh, but I think I could do that best in another episode. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna shut it down for today. And I want to just ask you for some feedback. First of all, um, you know I've got the liturgy of the hours. We're gonna talk about that next episode. Uh, we're gonna talk about the rosary in a few episodes. So I'd love to hear from you. What are your experiences with the liturgy of the hours? Uh, the divine office, as it's referred to. What is your experience with the rosary? Do you have like favorite mysteries? Do you have a favorite story about the rosary? Maybe a favorite uh, way or method of praying the rosary? I'd love to know about that. I'd love to hear about it. You can give me a call and share your story at 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. Uh, you can call over there and just leave a message. Share your little story with me. I'd love to, to play that on the show. Uh, also, uh, keep in mind, it's not just the rosary, but also Liturgy of the Hours. If, if you uh, enjoy praying, if you uh, feel called to pray Liturgy of the Hours, I'd love to hear about that too. So give me a call. And of course, you can always write me at catholicfoodie at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you soon. I'd also like to remind you that Char and I, along with Sarah Reinhardt and many others, 
are right now preparing to make for the first time, or in my case, to renew uh, our total consecration to the Blessed Mother according to the method of uh, St. Louis de Munfort. So uh, I'm going to put links again in the show notes uh, for this episode, just like I did last episode, so you can learn more about uh, what total consecration is all about. Uh, I know there's also a lot of information over at rosaryarmy.com that you can find on uh, on this as well. Now, um, I just mentioned Sarah Reinhardt's name, and you're probably wondering, hey, what happened to Mary in the kitchen? Well... I wanted to save it for the last, the last bit of the show because, you know, everything, the best is saved for last, right? The best is saved for last. You are done hearing from me. We're going to let Sarah um, uh, encourage us and edify us with what she has to share today about Easter. And uh, she's going to close the show out for us. So uh, thank you very much for listening to the Catholic Foodie today. And the phone's ringing over here. So <laughs> go ahead, Sarah. Hi, I'm Junie. And I'm Ray. And this is Mary in the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> My husband's mother loves the tradition of making Easter cookies with her grandchildren. It's not a hard and fast tradition, but one that seems to happen, quite by accident, more years than not. I have piles of photographs of my nieces and nephew, the ones who are now almost too cool for mixing the icing and licking the knives, back when they were the age of my kids. I look at them now, helping my toddler and preschooler, and I can't help but see the memory of who they were as little children. As I'm recording this, we haven't yet had our cookie-decorating bonanza at my mother-in-law's house, In fact, this year we're doing it on Good Friday, because on Saturday my five-year-old has a horse show. This sounds ridiculous to me as I say it, but it's life. When my life gets in the way of what I consider a perfect observation of certain feasts or holy days in my Catholic faith, I often think of how life must have been for Mary. Life was different then, true, But when people are involved, there are always unknowns. Did Jesus ever get sick or have an injury or just not cooperate, changing Mary's plans? Yeah, I'm sure something like that had to have happened. So as I snap this year's batch of pictures of the kids icing cookies with their nanny, on a day when I won't be eating any, though, rest assured, I will want to. I will think of Mary at the foot of the cross. That surely wasn't on her to-do list for life. She went willingly enough, having the wisdom to know that the cross led to something greater, having the trust in God that I so often lack. As we take still more pictures of my five-year-old in her first horse show on Saturday, the day Jesus was in the tomb, I'll think of how empty Mary must have felt that day. I surely won't be feeling empty. There will be beaming girls and the smell of horse to fill every part of my brain if I let them. But in the midst of life as usual, I don't have to let myself forget. 
On Easter morning, we'll be there at Mass with the lilies and the hyacinth and the incense, standing in a patch of sunshine from the stained glass windows in our church. Hearing the Alleluia, at least one of my children will be sure to turn around and look up to the choir. Things will not be somber. There is candy, there is family time, and most importantly, there is the resurrection. Easter, as much as any other great church feast, involves the kitchen, and it keeps me linked to my mother Mary. I have but a glimpse of the great joy of Easter. I feel so far away from what the reality of Easter really means. It's so easy to get caught up in what family gathering we're going to, what traditions of our own will start or continue, what ways we'll use to explain it and enrich it for our children. Mary smiles at me from the kitchen, her apron full of, Is that something one of my kids wiped on it? How can she be so normal? Wasn't she super holy? Being holy doesn't mean she doesn't understand the challenges of holiday weekends, the hurdles of secular influences, the pain of family misunderstandings. Her holiness is, instead, an encouragement for each of us that if we too trust in her spouse and son, we will be able to stand at the tomb and find it Empty, may your Easter be filled with all the joys of the risen Christ. And may his mother help you cooperate with the grace to just enjoy this greatest of feasts. Thank you so much, Sarah. That is always, always edifying for me. You have a a great gift uh, of insight into our Blessed Mother and also... Uh, into the Holy Family. So thank you so much for sharing that with us here at the Catholic Foodie. And uh, reminder once again, everybody, feedback. Let me know what what uh, your thoughts on the Rosary and also Liturgy of the Hours. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, bon appétit.